0: The night didn't run them all off, preacher. Amen. Uh, Got a lot of ground we want to cover tonight, and if you would turn with me once again to Matthew chapter twenty-four. While you're turning there, uh, let me just tell you a little more about our ministries. And as the men get us up, have you found us back there? All right. Again, nineteen and eighty. I was the associate pastor in 1981. I became the pastor of the church in Duncanville, which is a suburb of Dallas. And uh, our pastor was a, a great man, uh, but he did not believe in dinosaurs. He believed dinosaurs was nothing but a bunch of plaster paris hanging on a wire to prove evolution. And uh, so Dr. Carl Ball came and held a meeting for us and took him down to the river and uncovered a dinosaur track, and uh, he said, well, that looks like an overgrown chicken track. <laughs> and uh, so he coined the term uh, Chickasaurus. And uh, so uh, a few months later, we decided to have an archeological dig. And it was during that week on a uh, Tuesday, uh, a Wednesday afternoon, uh, that um, I grew up on the farm and in construction work. so. I got, the, I got the title of being Field Supervisor of Archaeological Digs. And that just simply meant you got all the equipment together, uh, you run the heavy equipment and all that kind of stuff. And so everybody was gone but one of my teenage boys, and uh, uh, we decided we would move another rock and get it ready for the next day's excavation. And that afternoon, uh, God allowed us to uncover uh, the first human footprint. And from that point on, we've uncovered over a hundred human footprints interlaced without many different dinosaur tracks. Uh, Some of the discoveries that we've made uh, uh, have been absolutely mind-blowing. Most major universities have never found their first pterodactyl. God's given us three years in a row a find of one three years in a row. Amazing. Uh, We have in our museum an iron hammer that literally came from Noah's flood. It was made in Noah's world. It's the only known artifact like it ever been found. And uh, so God's given us a great museum, but more than that, he's given us men to do some research. And we've been able to make some literally mind-blowing discoveries about DNA and things of that nature. on the table, there's some little cards back there, and on those cards, it'll help you, you can get on our museum website. And uh, in a few months, <clears throat> uh, when the Lord provides another quarter of a million dollars, oh, we we'll be online. Uh, we have a hyperbaric chamber longer than your building is this way. Uh, it's 70 feet long, and um, you'll be able to view projects living inside an atmospheric condition like it would have been in Noah's world. And uh, we've already, in our prototype chambers, we've already discovered some unbelievable things and been able to pass those along to many major universities uh, in their research. Uh, And um, uh, we just always thank the Lord for whatever he helps us discover. And so we've been involved with that. It started out of the church I was pastoring and we're still having a a great impact worldwide. And also uh, uh, from that, we've started some other projects. I'll get my clicker going here. And uh, is it not wanting to click there, fellas? Can you help me get it going? Anyway, they'll maybe get it figured out. Uh, But uh, we take churches on a walk through time, and we hold prophecy conferences, many other things. And uh, on the table, there's, uh, there's most of the things on the table have to do with um, prophecy. There's such a need in our world today to understand some of the things that are going on and where we are and what's happening. And so the majority of it is, but there's about a four and a half hour teaching. There's a four CD set back there on the week of creation. I think you'll find it rather enlightening uh, helpful to understand uh, how men could live even after sin about a thousand years. And uh, uh, then uh, there's a, a DVD back there done in our studios. God's given us a studio. Uh, we have our television program where we record it every week and then we do DVDs and things there. Uh, the service that we looked at in the first hour this morning uh, of uh, the uh, Seventh Vision of Zechariah. We call it Returning to Shinar. We have it on audio as well as DVD, if you're interested. And then uh, when the pandemic came out this last year, uh, I waited just a few weeks and did a lot of research and a lot of studying. And uh, are you guys not able to get it going? They've not got me going yet back there, amen. Technology, don't you just love technology? do I try, your <clears throat> try my clicker again I'll be glad to try it again oh yeah look at there Amen. magic fingers thank you guys Amen. <laughs> amen. Uh, I try to always humor and be as nice as I can to those in the sound booth I never say what I think no no because <laughs> no. Uh, all they got to do is cut you off amen but after the pandemic broke out I did a lot of research not just research about the pandemic, but I did a lot of research from the science side. And we put together a two DVD series. Um, I think we placed almost 1,800 of these so far. But the first DVD is on the science. To help you understand, it is not a pandemic. It's never been an epidemic. And we look at the science of it, and I give you the science You need to understand every year's cold is COVID. Anybody here work with cattle? Do you give your, do you give your bovine coronavirus shots? Wow. Have you ever heard the term novel? No such thing. And so the first DVD is on that, the second one is on the individuals behind it, what it's about. Maybe it's something that can help you. Uh, Some of our books that we've written, the Lord has really allowed us to be an encouragement to preachers. But a year and a half ago I put together this book. It's called The Rapture Question. The first half of the book, not even half, the first third of the book covers some of the questions that was asked tonight about the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation. Why do some people think some people are going in the rapture and other Christians left behind? It's because they don't understand eternal security. Uh, I deal with many questions like that. Then the majority of the book is seven reasons for the rapture. And uh, have you ever wondered why there's no hope for a fallen angel? There's no hope of redemption. Because they're eternal beings, they live in the realm of eternity. There's no death in eternity. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. It required Christ to die on the cross, shed His blood on the cross. So there's no hope for redemption. And uh, I have a, an extensive part in there about the difference between time and eternity. That might be a help and encouragement. If you found Daniel or, or Matthew chapter 24, if you would stand for the reading of Scripture, tomorrow evening, Lord willing, I'll be addressing the question, the Middle East conflict. And we'll walk through the Bible from the seed of the conflict. And we'll not only walk through the Bible, but we'll bring you up to the current time and we'll look at world events. We'll be looking at historical documentation as well as biblical documentation. And I think you'll go away tomorrow night having a thorough understanding of what the Middle East conflict is really all about. And I hope it can be an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter number 24, we'll pick it up in verse number 32 tonight. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see all of these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all. For knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage uh, until the day that Noah entered in the ark uh, and knew not till the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Father, I pray tonight that you would direct our thoughts. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Please be our teacher. Give us spiritual eyes to see and hearts ready to receive, and ears ready to listen. May the Holy Spirit guide us through tonight to see some wonderful biblical truths and maybe help answer some questions that might be on our hearts. Lord, help us to see how in charge you really are. It's all under control. Tonight, may everything that's said and done bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name with thanksgiving we ask it all. Amen. may be seated. Tonight, I want to share with you some thoughts. But before I do, each evening, I want to try to give you a little practical help in the area of understanding prophecy. Because for a lot of people, prophecy is uh, something they don't think they can understand or it's too hard. We discovered this morning almost a third of your Bible is prophecy. And God wants us to not be ignorant of the times in which we're living. He wants us to be aware because we're children of the day walking in the light. We're not children of the night in the dark. And so uh, I want to share these thoughts with you because this will not only help you in prophecy, but this will help you in understanding your Bible thoroughly. As you're studying in your Bible and as you read your Bible, you ought to always look at three different ways in every scripture. Number one, you'll always keep it in its context and always look for any of the practical or any of the literal amplification. Number one, who's it talking to? Who's What's being said? Who's doing the talking? Does this have anything to do with me? Because some of the Bible is this is where your charismatic crowd, and I don't mind to call names once in a while, your charismatic crowd, uh, the name it and claim it, they'll run over to something that God made a promise to an individual or to a nation group or a people group and now claim it for themselves and it has nothing to do with them. You gotta understand, is what I'm looking at, does it have an amplification? Secondly, In this, do I find something that can be amplified and applied to my life? Often, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's principles never change. How he deals with people and situations never change. So in this that I'm looking at and I'm reading, how can I apply this to myself and help me in my Christian growth? And thirdly, you're always to be looking for any prophetic implications. And when you start this, you will begin to discover not only is 29% of your Bible prophecy, but a great majority of the rest of your Bible has prophetic implications. We'll look at a few of those tonight, but I want to help you uh, with this. And uh, again, all of the charts and all of this that, that you're seeing tonight, these will all be left and given to your pastor, and you can get with him and, and whatever. I, somebody said, you're going to give your work away? Don't you not understand there's nothing new under the sun? Nothing belongs to any preacher. It is all of the Lord's work. And I want to try to help your pastor and I want to help your church. So I always give my work away. I don't care. Uh, I'm thankful that God has allowed me to learn a few things and I want to share it. Amen. And so uh, these charts and things will be. Tonight I want to teach you something that I'm confident probably none of you in this room have ever thought of. I'm going to teach you something about Israel and the barley harvest. I think you're going to find it Quite enlightening to help you understand where we are. Jesus said, No man knoweth the day or the hour. Have you ever wondered, what's he mean? Isn't Jesus God? And you often will need to always remember that when you're reading your Bible, when you're reading the words of Jesus in particular, some of you might even have a red letter edition of your Bible. Uh, Those are the words of Christ in red. Uh, You need to understand sometimes Jesus is speaking as the Son of God. And there are other times he's speaking as the Son of Man. In this particular instance, he's speaking as the Son of Man. He's not saying, I don't know. He's simply saying, God the Heavenly Father knows the time. So we'll answer that question maybe or give a little enlightenment on it. What does it mean, no man knoweth the day or the hour? What does it mean, you know, uh, uh, that final week of prophecy? When is it going to happen? When's the rapture going to take place? I don't know, but he gives us enough signs to know. Hey, by the way, the signs aren't for you. The signs are for the Jews. I don't think God minds if we eavesdrop on his conversation to the Jews. <laughs> and uh, because what, what he's having with the Jews, he's telling you the stage is getting set for the tribulation. That means we're going to be out of here before that stage plays out. And uh, these are exciting times that we're living in. Matthew 24, he said, But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, only my father. And so uh, is there a direct relationship between the seven feasts that God established for Israel. Is there a direct relationship between those feasts and the first and second coming of Jesus Christ? I think they are directly related because Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts to the day, to the letter. And uh, so uh, Israel is symbolized in prophecy many different ways. We just read a passage in the Olivet Discourse. The fig tree is Israel. I think probably all of us already understood that. Often your Bible, and if you don't understand it, I, I, I have a whole lesson or a message on it called the Fig Tree. Uh and, and so often the, the terminologies that are used in prophecy, like we discovered this morning, trees are always used prophetically, symbolic of nations. And so it is with a fig tree. The fig tree is talking about Israel. Luke's account says in all of the trees. In other words, the border nations. All of them are being set. Um, they're already there. And so then often it's referred to as an olive tree. Sometimes they're looked at the grape. Sometimes they are seen as the vine. Sometimes the terminology, they're even called Babylon. And then there are times when Israel is called the woman. We saw that in the first session this morning. And then barley. Barley. You know the story. Gideon's getting his courage built up. God's called him to lead an army against the Midianites, and and, uh, man, he's got 32,000 of them, and God said, you got too many. You know the story. And he said, God, have you not looked over in that valley? 32,000 and an innumerable host? God said, yeah, and here's the test. You know the story. He finally gets him down to 300. And God said, "Ah, that's just about the right size army. This way I'll get all the glory and you get none. Amen. And so, uh, you know the story, and so uh, uh, he's finally had the fleece, and it's wet, and then it's dry, and all of the things that he's gone through, he's still a little intrepid, and I would be as well. Man, oh, that's a host over there. The Lord said, here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to slip up on top of that hilltop, and God had it planned. Here's what God planned. And when Gideon was come, and behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and, lo, a cake of barley, bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came into the tent, and smote it, and it fell, and and overturned it, and that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said unto him, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon and the, the son of Joash, a man of, a man of Israel. For into the, his hand hath God delivered Midian and all of the host. And it, shall be, uh, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, he worshipped. And he returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered unto your hand the host of Midian." You see, he recognized what the Midianites recognized, that the barley was symbolic of Israel. So the dream was a barley loaf come rolling off of that hill. They had no idea that God had a Gideon up on top of that hill. And they said, man, it destroyed our tent. And he said, this is none other than the sword of Gideon. This is Israel. Oh, they're going to destroy us. So he went back and told his fellows, God's already given us the victory. So barley is used symbolically of Israel. So stick that in the back of your mind. We'll come to it again. The feast that God sent through Moses, God gave Moses the feast seasons and said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take your seventh month, make it the first month, and all of the things that I'm going to do. And so you have these spring feasts here. Uh, you have a Passover, then it begins unleavened bread the next day. Then the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, uh, that follows Passover, is First Fruit Sunday. And then you have the wheat harvest, which is Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled all four of those to the exact day. He was on the cross. He was the Passover. While the lambs were on the pit, burning and roasting for Passover, Jesus was on the cross. Then they began unleavened bread. Jesus is without sin. Then first fruits Sunday, that's what we talked about earlier. Jesus was the first fruits of them that slept. That's Resurrection Sunday. I know sometimes we call it Easter, but you need to understand Easter's a pagan holiday. It's never been, watch, it's never been a part of the church. Do You realize for the first two centuries of the, of the local church ministry from the time Jesus started the church until the third century, did you know the church never, ever practiced Easter? They always participated in Passover because they understood First Fruit Sunday Resurrection Sunday. At our church, all the years I pastored, we never had Easter. We always had Resurrection Sunday, First Fruit Sunday, because that's what it was all about. So there are three feasts yet to go, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, then Yom Kippur, the Atonement, uh, and then the Tabernacles. Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts of the day, Pentecost, is the day when the Holy Spirit came back, uh, came down. He said, I have to go in order for the Comforter to come. I mean everything. I'm convinced if he did that, the first four, I'm convinced he's going to do the last three just to the day because it's all about him. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, you have three major harvests uh, in Israel. You've got, the, you've got the harvest in Israel. You have the first one, which is barley. Barley is always the first thing to harvest. That's where you find the story of the book of Ruth, at the barley harvest time. And then it takes you all the way into the wheat harvest time, which is the second one. Uh, That is, uh, uh, the second one is the wheat harvest. That's an association with Pentecost, uh, or the week of feast, the seven weeks that follow, 50 days later. And then the third harvest in the fall has to do with your grapes, uh, with your grains, or uh, with your fruit trees. All of these are the three major harvests uh, in the land of Israel. So you had uh, Passover is always the 14th day of Nisan, always, ironclad, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can mark it down on the 14th day you are going to have Passover. It begins because on the 10th day of Nisan, you are going to select your lamb that you're going to offer and you're going to eat on Passover on the 10th day of Nisan. Then on the 14th day, you're going to roast it, and you're going to eat it. Because the 15th day begins every time. It is going to begin the week of unleavened bread. And the first Sunday following Passover is always going to be the 17th day. It is always going to be First Fruit Sunday. Without fail, God said, this is set in stone. So keep that in mind. And uh, you think it's a coincidence that God set it up the way he set it up? I I just kind of have an idea that God had a plan. I think God had this planned a long time before he ever saw uh, Adam fall into sin. He already had all this planned out. And so, uh, if he fulfilled the first four spring uh, feasts, will he not fulfill the fall feast in his second coming? I am just dead level convinced he will. Hey, the rapture could take place at any moment. It really could. But I am thoroughly convinced it's going to be in the fall myself. (laughs) I think it's going to be in the fall. Uh, that's when the Feast of Trumpets is going to be. And uh, on the seventh day, they're going to blow that trumpet seven times. I, I don't know what day it may be. He said, no man knows the day or the hour. And uh, But anyway, it must be a God-ordained plan and a purpose. Uh, we'll not take, a uh, preacher will have these. Uh, these are the times whenever all of the harvests take place in Israel. And so, you know the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is uh, uh, the... She's the Moabite's daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband and two boys went over into Moab. You know the story. And while she's over there, a few years pass, uh, and uh, her, daughter, her, her sons marry two daughters of the Moabites, uh, and uh, then her sons die and her husband die, and finally she hears that there's, ha- there's bread in, a, in, in the land again. Well, that's what Bethlehem means, a house of bread. And so uh, she's going to go back. And Ruth said, well, I'm going with you. And she said, uh, no, you need to do like your sister-in-law has done. You need to stay with your family. And she said, no, because your God's my God. Evidently, Naomi done a pretty good job of sharing her, her, her God and the relationship she had with God with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Because Ruth said, no, your people's my people and your God's my God. The book of Ruth is a rich book. If you've never really studied it, it, the book of Ruth is all about the work of the kinsman's redeemer. It's all about redemption. And it's a perfect picture of what God has done for us in the redemption plan and saving of our souls. And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, uh, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. You know what that tells me? Exactly the week she shows up. She shows up the first week of Nassan. Because she's coming back, at the time of Passover, because Passover and the barley harvest are tied together. You can't have one without the other. You'll see with me in a moment. And so uh, they come back, and uh, did you realize uh, when the ark rested? Here's what the Bible says, and the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the Mount Aret. And so God is going to take their civil calendar, and he's going to make a change. God's going to take the seventh month of the civil calendar and he's going to make the seventh month become their first month of the religious calendar. He's going to take the seventh month from Tishri, he's going to count all the way down to Adar and then to Nisan, the seventh month, and he's going to make this now your first month. Notice what he said. He said, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months, for it is the first month of the year to you. So, the Jews operate, the religious Jews operate on two calendars. They have a civil calendar that begins in the month Tishri, uh, which is always in the fall, it's usually September, sometimes October on our calendar, because we don't operate on the same calendar they operate on. But their feast always starts with the seventh month, which is the month Nisan. So, it was on the seventh month of the civil calendar, on the 17th day of the month that the Ark of Noah landed on Mount Ararat. God takes that same seventh month, and now he makes it the first month. And ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of congregation shall kill it in the evening. That's Passover on the 14th. It just so happens... <laughs> that three days after the crucifixion just happens to be the exact same day <laughs> that the ark landed on Mount, on Mount Arad. You reckon God had these things planned out? Amen. I just kind of have the idea that God's got everything right now planned out. Right. So don't get bent out of shape what's happening. God's still got it in control. And so I just thought it'd be interesting for you to see that. And so Exodus He's going to give Moses some information. Notice what he says. He said, Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I command thee, in the time appointed in the month of in For in it thou camest out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. You will find that God took Israel and the first Passover, you know, the death angel passed over because the blood was applied to the doorpost and a little of uh, and uh, only the firstborn of Egypt that didn't have the blood applied, where the firstborn died, you know the story, and so uh, uh, he said, uh, this is the month of Abib. You say, well, I thought it was the month of the song. Well... Notice what he said in Deuteronomy, observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God, for in the month of Abib the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. The question is, what should it be called? Is it Abib or is it Nisan? Is it one and the same? It's the same month. What is it all about? In Esther it says, in the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of Azazuesa, uh, they cast pur. You know the story, uh, Haman's casting pur. They're trying to figure out what day can we kill all of the Jews on. That's what Naaman was trying to do. He, he even got the edict from the king, you know, uh, that on a certain day they were going to slay all of the Jews in all the Persian kingdom. But God uses Esther. You know the story. And uh, Haman ends up getting hung on his own gallows. His wife gave him pretty poor advice because it was his wife who told him, you need to build a gallows and hang Haman, on, hang Mordecai on it. She didn't realize she was having him build his own death. Amen. Uh, so guys, be careful what your wife tells you. No, wait a minute. That's not what I mean. <laughs> so, it's called Nisan. Same month, but a different name. Well, there's a reason for it. As long as Israel had a tabernacle and a temple, it was called a bib. But once there was no temple, God uses the name Nisan. Why is it? They're not in their land And they don't have a barley harvest to guide them. So God says, here's what you do. You call it the month the sun. You say, why is that important? Well, remember once again, you have these harvests in the springtime. And then in the fall, you have these. Now, the word Abib means to be fully ripe, ready for harvest. It's why it was called the month of Bib. While they're in their land, they're able to look at the barley harvest. When is it ready for harvest? When is it fully ripe and ready for harvest? They had that while they were in their land. So since the month of Passover uh, as a beeb is in the reference to the barley harvest being full and ripe and harvest. So that's what it's all about. And so the growing seasons are governed by the sun. Are you going out and plant corn tomorrow? <laughs> Not hardly. <laughs> this isn't the season to plant corn. Why? Because we got to wait until our movement in constellation brings us back into springtime in relationship to the sun. So when God in Genesis three fourteen or one fourteen, when he made on day number four the sun and the moon, he said he made them to govern for times and days and seasons and years. He said I put them up here for signs and days and years to mark them. They are to rule the day and to rule the night. Did you realize the night light from the sun literally rules your DNA in your body? It's the frequency of moonlight. We talked about it at lunch today. It's the frequency of moonlight, which is 528 hertz. The frequency of moonlight is what triggers in your red blood cells the protein to cause your DNA to reproduce itself. Under the canopy, it was seven times greater uh, than it is in our world today. And uh, so these are up there. So the cycles controlled by the moon, the seasons are controlled by the sun, but the cycles of growth are controlled by the moon. When the moon is full, it's, it's pull, gravitational pull upon the waters, whether it's the water in a seed or the waters in the ocean, it is always, when it's full moon, I'm here to tell you, have you ever heard about the farmer's almanac? (laughs) Did you ever hear your grandpa say, we're going to plant our taters in the dark of the moon? Why? Because they needed a process of hardening and getting ready before the full moon had a gravitational pull on that seed so that the seed would have time to get itself ready to begin the process of growth. So, so the cycle of the sun governs the seasons, but the cycles from the moon governs growth. They work together. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Uh, man, creation's an amazing thing uh, to discover uh, God's work after him. And so uh, the consistent realigning of the calendar, therefore, is necessary. You know, we, we, have, a, we have to realign our calendar every four years. You know, uh, uh, the Julian calendar is only 364 and a quarter, because every day is not really a 24-hour day. Your day is only 23 hours and 56 minutes and oh whatever it is long. That's why every four years we have a leap day. That's what keeps us in alignment with the solar calendar because it's the solar system and the sun that's going to govern the seasons. That's why, we have, that's why we have to do that, because if you let that go for about 50 years, all of a sudden you're, you're trying to figure out how late it is. Well, I guess it'll be June this year. Oh, I guess it'll be August before we plant this year. So, the, so it's, it's the way to keep things in alignment with it. It's now, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, And it's only three hundred and fifty-four and five-eighths days of a year. Wow! You see, God set their calendar up by the by the new moon. When the new moon comes up, it's a new month, because the middle of the month is always full moon. That's how God set it up for the Jews. So their calendar is a lunar calendar, your calendar is a solar calendar, and uh, so uh, this means that uh, requiring them to have a leap year every three years. But instead, because they're 13 days short, that means that every third year, they have a leap month and not a leap day. It's called Adar 2. Here's the calendar for the Jews. Of course, uh, this is, of course, the, the, the calendar for the feast seasons that we're talking about because here uh, is uh, Tishri is the fall. This is the civil calendar new month. This is the first month of their civil calendar. And so what happens is every third year, they have an extra month Adar. Because Nisan 1 tells you that on the 10th day of Nisan, you're going to select your lamb. Because on the 14th day, you're going to have Passover. No question. It's going to happen. But you see, What follows Passover? Unleavened bread and what was that third one? First fruits. Wait a minute. What kind of first fruits did they have to have on first fruits Sunday? Month before barley's ready to harvest. So tomorrow, as it ends, the month Adar. We're supposed to blow the trumpet at the first sign of the the dark of the moon. We're supposed to say and blow the trumpet, tomorrow is Nisan, get ready, Passover's coming, but we can't because there's not any barley to harvest. There's not a beeb. So tomorrow is Adar too. We have a second month of Adar. Keep that in the back of your mind. Because the barley harvest is not only barley as representative of Israel, but it was the key to the starting of their feast seasons. You couldn't have the Passover. And Passover is going to be on the 14th day of Nisan. I don't care what happens. So how are we going to adjust that with the full ripe Barley harvest, oh, this is how we're going to do it. It's when it's a beeb. All right? So, with that in mind, God has taken the seventh month of the civil calendar. He's made it the first month of the religious calendar. And uh, Leviticus says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, ye shall have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, and a holy convocation. We're starting a new month, and this is the month of feast season. Get ready. Passover is getting ready to happen. And uh, why do they not put, like we do, where do we put our leap day? We put our leap day right next the first month, right after our first civil month, February. You see, they don't put it at their civil month. They don't have Tishri, too. <laughs> they have Adar, too. Why? because it's all about Israel and their relationship with God. That's why it goes by their feast month. Everything has to do with God and his relationship with Israel. Now I want to show you something. The barley harvest set the calendar determining when the month of Nisan would happen because Nissan's hard set, it's set, the dates are hard set. There's no, no changing it. So it's the barley harvest that determines when Nissan is going to take place. <clears throat> you could not have Passover without having first ripe barley that year. Just no way to do it. And so this is why the barley harvest. So uh, the barley harvest in Leviticus, he said, "Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, uh, ye shall reap a harvest. Therefore, uh, ye shall uh, bring a sheep of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. He shall wave the sheep before the Lord uh, to accept uh, you uh, for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, and the priest shall wave it." Now, before I answer the question we started with. I want to give you something else. I wanted you to see how the principle I started with tonight works. Remember the principle? Always look for any prophetic implication in a verse. I want to share with you something here. Israel and its relationship to the church. The church never replaced Israel. But the church and Israel are in the same pot together in this era of time. What's the Bible say? You remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Remember, remember that? Amazing thing, the creator is going to pray, and while he's praying, somehow or another, he reaches out in the outside of the realm of time, and he brings into time, and he does something that violates a law of science, the law of entropy. Every, nothing new comes into our universe, and nothing leaves our universe. Have you ever wondered, how could God take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 hungry people? He had to bring something in that wasn't there to start with, but he can do it because he's the Creator. And so, you know the story. Uh, The Bible says, and Jesus took the loaves, and and, uh, when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples then that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, much as they would when they were filled, uh, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Can you imagine what it must have been like? They start with a little sack lunch. They fed 5,000, and now they got 12 basketfuls left. (laughs) What an awesome God we serve, amen? Oh, yeah. You see, just as barley and the fig tree are used symbolically of Israel, fish has always been used symbolically of the Christian. It's always been used symbolically of the Christian, just like wheat is used in Matthew chapter 13, symbolic of the church and a believer. And so, uh, <clears throat> so let's use that third principle we talked about. Could there be any prophetic implications in this event? There are five barley loaves. I think we're talking about five days... You need to understand God. God didn't leave us clueless. He said, "A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years with a day." Uh, when you get over the book of Hosea, chapter two, He's going to tell you. He said, "At the end of two days, I'm going to visit you and raise you up, and on the third day, I'm going to reign with you." <clears throat> You know what's happened? At the end of 2,000 years of dysphoria, the Jews have been raised up. You know why? Because on the third day, the millennial reign, God's going to reign with them. Oh, yeah. So let's follow some of these thoughts together. During this 2,000-year period of time, the church age, Israel, the bread, barley, and the fish have been in the basket together. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, what twain? The Jews and the Gentiles, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both of them unto God in one body, by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. And so uh, the question is this what was in the baskets? Somebody tell me what was in the baskets. Hmm. Barley. Where's the fish? You see, principle number three that we looked at a while ago, is there any prophetic implication? What did they fill their baskets full of? read the rest of the story. We don't have time tonight. But when you read the rest of the story, what did Jesus get do next? He said, take your 12 baskets and go get into that boat. And they went out into the sea. He went up on a mountain to pray. And while they were in the sea, a great storm came upon them and they were about to sink. And they have rowed all night long and it's about to sink when all of a sudden they look over and is that Jesus walking on the water? And Jesus steps in the boat and they're on the other side. You know what's a picture of? It's a picture that when the fish are out of here. The 12, the 12 tribes of Israel are going to go into their trouble time and just about when it's almost gone, here comes the Messiah. Prophecy's rich. Amen. And it's doctrinal. So, we'll answer... A question we started with why is it that only the Heavenly Father knows the timing of the events could it be that only God the Father knows when Israel is a babe God and God alone knows when Israel is ready for harvest because the purpose of the tribulation is a harvest and only one-sixth of all of the Jews alive when the tribulation begins survive it's for the remnant for the millennial reign that's what it's all about the question is this do you reckon he's already reset the calendar I really think he has He said it's when it's a beeb when it's fully ripe for harvest just as he had them reset their calendar every three years in order to abide by the rules and the laws of Passover I believe God's already probably reset the calendar I think we're about out of here folks you know the miraculous birth of Israel fulfilled many prophecies. Been at least 75 prophecies fulfilled in the life of Israel in the last 73 years. Amazing the things that have happened in the fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, when God the Father knows that Israel is ready, uh, He's going to rapture the saints out of here. Uh, you need to understand it's not the rapture of the church; it's the rapture of the saints. Amen. And uh, uh, when it happened to Israel, going to be sent into their final prophetic years of the tribulation, just like those 12 men got in the boat and went out into the waters, into the troubles, and then Jesus is going to show up. The time of Jacob's trouble is preparing for the millennial reign. Folks, I'm here to tell you, when you look into your Bible and you look at all of the signs God's given to the Jews, and you eavesdrop on it a little bit, you cannot help but understand everything may be closer than you think. That means you and I as a child of God that's born again, we ought ought to be anticipating any moment (laughs) the trumpet sound. I don't know about you, I'm ready to go. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the streets of gold. I'm looking forward to being in the presence of Jesus. I'm looking forward to a new body. (laughs) Oh, man, yes. I'm looking forward to a time when I don't have to look through three lenses and try to figure out which one of them is the one to look through. (laughs) Amen? But what about your family? What about your sons and daughters? What about your husbands, what about your wives, what about your grandparents, what about your nieces and nephews your cousins, your aunts and uncles we need to understand how close we're getting to our wonderful reward awaiting us but when it's over you'll never ever have an opportunity to share the gospel again did you realize you'll never pray again Right now you have an opportunity to move the throne room of heaven with your prayers. Who from the throne room of heaven can move in the heart of the hardest of sinners. But when the rapture takes place, you'll never pray again the rest of eternity. You'll have no need to. You'll have the mind of Christ and you'll be in the presence of Christ. So between now and when the trumpet sounds why don't we purpose to roll up our sleeves and do our best to win our families to Christ? Of all the people we ought to care about going to heaven with us, it ought to be the people we call loved ones. And then realize that that stranger you've never met is somebody's loved one. As we see the signs telling us how close we must be, it ought to motivate us to do two things maybe others but two major things one of them is witness and share the gospel and number two have a sincere prayer life because I'm telling you from the throne room of heaven God can pull the strings in the hardest sinner's heart that you can never touch our heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight if you're here without Christ as your Savior I want to encourage you in a moment as the pastor will be coming. Don't leave tonight without being certain. You say, Well, I don't, I don't know if I can be sure. Hey, the Bible says, These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. It's not based upon how I feel about it, it's based upon what I have done in believing and receiving Christ as my Savior. there's been a time when your name was written in the Lamb book of life of heaven, it'll forever be written there. But tonight, if you have loved ones without Christ, in the invitation time, I'd encourage you to come tonight and ask God, give me wisdom, give me courage, give me enlightenment, give me opportunity, please, to share the gospel while well, there's still an opportunity. Let's stand, please. Father, I pray you'll bless this invitation. As the pastor takes it, please move in our hearts. God, help us to see. It's pretty obvious. You brought Israel back at our land. You've got everything lined up, ready to go. And you and you alone know when Israel is ready for harvest. But Lord, we cannot help but see how close we must be coming to the moment of the trumpet and the voice calling us out of here? Would you help us as your children, please? Help us to get serious about our Christian life and our Christian duties.
1: Bless the pastor in this invitation, please. Begins to play. God spoken to your heart about somebody. Maybe He's laid somebody on your heart. So desperately needs to come to Christ. Maybe you spoke to your heart about some your seriousness and intensity with which you serve your Savior. Altar's open if you want to respond. so much you can look up this way thank you for being here again tonight i don't know about you but my heart was challenged kind of puts in perspective our everyday petty problems doesn't it and relationship issues and those things that really in eternity is not going to matter that much let's not let it distract us from doing god's work amen let's not let it distract us from being the kind of christian we need to be and uh, reaching the people we need to reach. I am convicted, I can just tell you honestly in my heart, I'm convicted that I'm putting too much focus on people's perception of me or whatever, and I got lost people around me going to hell when they die. And quite frankly, that's what our focus needs to be on, amen? And uh, so let's, uh, let's put that in the forefront. Thank you for that great challenge. Uh, I ask you to hang around for a little bit if you would like. We are celebrating tonight the 50th anniversary of uh, Rich and Carol Motter. So grateful for them and their faithfulness to our church. Long time faithfulness here. So we have some treats in the back, cake and ice cream. And uh, I know it's uh, a few minutes later, but we just ask you to stay around and fellowship with us for a little bit. And uh, any calories you consume at church do not count. Did you know that? You know that. Amen. So you can do whatever you want within the four walls of this building as far as it comes to eating. So join us for that, and uh, we'd love to fellowship with you a little bit. Thanks so much for that, Doc. What a blessing that was. Check out his table uh, tomorrow night. If you miss tonight, I I ask you not to. Tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, we have question and answer time. That was interesting tonight and uh, great help to us. And so if you have questions or don't, come, and you'll learn something, I promise you. So we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer at this time.